all this time in Iraq, you're laying in your cot or wherever the hell you are, and you're just fantasizing and romanticizing coming home so much that it took me a couple of years to kind of identify this, but you, you set yourself up for failure. Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Welcome to another educational edition of Stigma-Free Vet Zone. We are on the banks of the Milwaukee River, and today we're going to be visiting with Joe Pospicol. And Joe was born in 1984, and he's a graduate of Grafton High School in the year 2002. Joe enlisted in the Army right out of high school and served in Iraq in 2005. Today, Joe is divorced with two children. He loves fly fishing and still lives in Grafton, Wisconsin. So let's swing over and welcome our guest today, Joe. Come on in. Say hi to us. Hey, guys. I, uh, I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me be here and well, hear we're happy story. to have you here. Hear my story and hear me hear me ramble. <laughs> well, let's get on with the rambling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let, let's start off explaining a little. You said you're from Grafton. You still live in Grafton. You grew yeah, up. Tell yeah. us a little bit about your family, your childhood. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I was a pretty average. Well, I mean, I guess in my eyes would be average. Um, dorky suburban kid. You know, my dad's uh, still hardcore factory worker. My mom is. Um, my mom's a lunch lady, actually. You know what? She just retired this year. Congrats, mom. Um, so, yeah, my upbringing was pretty um, typical of an American kid in the, I suppose, the 80s and 90s. Um, I was a scrawny uh, kid. Never played any sports. I mean, I played sports with my friends, but never anything organized. Uh, I was a band geek. Played the drums. I'm trying to actually get back into that a little bit now. I've played the drums for a long time, but... Um, I don't know what happened after Iraq. I just <laughs> never wanted to. I don't know, you know, and it was weird. The family always wanted me to keep going with the drums, but I never did. Well, I dusted them off not long ago. So, Oh, um, well, good for you. I, I, I would suspect when we get to that part of the conversation that yeah. there are a lot of things that weren't the same after you got well, home from Iraq. Well, that's just You know, it just seemed kind of trivial to yeah. me, and I had bigger fish to fry. Yeah, so well, let's, uh, let's stick with the family. Yeah. So yep. uh, pets, mm-hmm. you, you enjoyed music? You have pets, brothers, uh, sisters? No, I got one brother. I... Um, yeah, I my mom was too much of a clean freak, never had pets, anything like that. Um, you know, I was a C student um at the time. You know, my parents were like, What a what a bad kid, you know. When really I just was the joker that could never shut the hell up. Uh, <laughs> but Grafton's a nice town. Grafton is a nice town. Uh, you know, and as a kid you don't realize that you got it made, you know, like stupid town. I wanna yeah. get the hell out of here and you know, come high school and still a C student. Um I, I had kind of no direction. Um, I wanted to be a, a firefighter when I grew up. That's pretty um, good direction. Yeah, but I, I guess I just wasn't very, wasn't a very motivated or hardworking kid. I don't know. I guess I just, I wasn't very grown up. You know, there's a, when you look at 18 year olds, some are more grown up than others. I would guess I was one of the less grown up ones. So all of a sudden, senior year's here, still getting C's. I have no direction. My parents neither went to college, so they kind of just were like, I don't know what the hell you're going to do. You're going to work in a factory. I don't know. What are you going to do, Joe? Uh, Shit, I don't know. Well, end of senior year's here. 
And a buddy of mine, go figure, of course, he never enlisted. He thought about it. Had flat feet or allergies or something like that. Met, uh, introduced me to a recruiter, and I thought, you know what? Why not? This sounds cool. Um, you know, I graduated in 02, so 9-11 had already happened, and I was fully aware of that. And as scary as it was, it gave it more of a, not some corny, a noble sense, a kind of... Patriotic. Yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is, is like, you know, I was a quiet kid. Well, no, I wasn't. I was loud, but I was, um, you know, not a, a confident kid. But I still kind of looked at it like, you know what? Who else is going to do this? And I kind of thought, now's my chance. You know, I'm going to do this. And I, uh, you know, enlisted. Uh, they called it the, the delayed entry program where you, like, swear in in June and ship out in September. And, you know, to give you plenty of opportunities to regret your decision and bail out. Uh, I don't know how many people actually did that. Uh, I was not one of them. But, yeah, uh, shipped out, went to Fort Knox for basic training in September 2002. Uh, went through all that, no issues. Basic training was you know, really not that difficult. Quite so so when, when you enlisted, did anyone give you a promise of what you might be, what your MOS, your well, military occupation would be? Yeah, you know. I, um, for some reason, they really grabbed everybody with, well, I mean, it's not surprising, shit blown up, you know, rock and roll music with like helicopters and tanks, you know, and Bradleys, which are a tank, right? I mean, what, what the hell's the difference? And um, that'll probably get some scouts irked. Um, yeah, so I'm like, all right, well, sign me up, you know, I don't care. And uh, the recruiter's like, all right, tanker, you know. You got to just have a pulse to be a tanker and we'll get you out the door and, you know, they ship ASAP, you know, and I wasn't resistant. I never tried to get what I, well, I didn't even know what I wanted. I didn't try to get anything. I just knew that I wanted to do something combat arms, you know. So um, my recruiter was a military intelligence guy and he, um, you know, I don't want to blame recruiters are, you know, they're just people, you know, they don't, they don't know. But they are going to bullshit you and tell you, you know, what they think you want to hear or need to hear. You know, this guy was a dashingly handsome career military intelligence guy. I mean, I don't even know what would a military intelligence private do? Get coffee for the people who are, like, looking at maps and stuff? I don't know. So he was like, yeah, tankers, yeah, you drive tanks. Oh, really? No shit. Okay. Um, so, you know, they, they feed you the, what the pamphlet says of... You know, you're going to uh, learn valuable job skills and interpersonal skills. You're going to learn how to, you know, make tough decisions under under fire and under stressful situations. And it's, I mean, it's just, they make it sound like, you know, any other, any other job, you know, working at a factory or whatever, you know. So I, I didn't give any resistance. I didn't try to negotiate anything. I said, sure, cool, cool beans, sign me up, tanker it is. And, um... Yeah, you know, you you just kind of, when you're 18, I thought, man, this is going to make me into such a cool, you know, hopefully more muscular. <laughs> that's why they want you uh, at 18. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's when you're at your, uh, your smartest, right? Your frontal cortex is totally in tune. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they didn't, there was no, no resistance. My parents were, they were pretty pissed, you know. They were like, Jesus, Joe going to go fight in George Bush's war. I'm like, oh, my God, you guys, come on. You know, and being 18, the more they said no, the more entrenched I was that this is going to happen. You know, and I had several friends that were like, yeah, hey, let me talk to the recruiter. And, of course, the crazy thing is that I graduated in 2002, and so many of my generation, you know, volunteered, which, by the way, uh, a bit of a sidetrack, but I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud that so many of what I guess some people – would say are millennials volunteered to fight in Iraq and Afghanistan. So there's my, there's my plug for my fellow millennials. I am on the older end of that, but uh, you know, thank you. And I'm proud of that. And thank you to them for, for doing that. But um, so now you move up through advanced training. Yep. Yep. Uh, so I go to basic. Uh, my parents didn't drug me or you know <laughs> tie me up and keep me from going. I went and they, they choked the, they don't know that they, they, they bit the bullet, so to speak, and, and let me do that. And I went through training and they were very proud of me. And, um, 
you know, the whole time in training, I guess I was wise enough. I don't know if I want, if that's the right way to say it, that I, I knew that this good things were happening to me. I was changing. The discipline was good for me. I mean, sure, there are times where it's scary as hell, but, you know, I, I dare to say that I actually enjoyed it. You know, and even the drill sergeants are still kind of feeding you the, um, the you know, you guys are going to be just so freaking awesome when you're done here. You know, they break you down to build you up. You know, one day you're a piece of shit. The next day you're, man, you guys are awesome. America's best right here. Bunch of tank driving superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, you graduate. I, I still say to this day, I mean, the day I graduated basic training was probably the happiest day of my life. And that's, that's just my perspective. I mean, I'm not like a warped dude. I love my kids. The day they were born was probably should be, but just the way that I felt when I graduated basic training, I mean, holy shit, I felt invincible. I felt like a freaking superhero. Like I could do anything. And, uh, you know, reality sets in you graduate from basic training and it's like well dude now you're in the army okay it's not all fun and games you know you don't get to go home yet and wave in the parade so um i went i think the same day i graduated or maybe the next day flew to fort riley kansas a beautiful fort riley kansas um (laughs) and i made it to my unit and this was spring of 03 and they had so many flipping tankers like, well, what are we going to do with you? So I made it to 234 Armor, 1st Brigade, 1st uh, ID, and uh, they stuck me in support platoon. Wait, let, me, let me interrupt you just for a second, John. Explain that, what you just mentioned, <clears throat> the, the name of your battalion that you were sent to. So 234 is 2nd Battalion, 34th Armored. Uh, there was two. There was a 134 and a 234 in 1st Brigade at Fort Riley. Um, they're both armored units, so it's predominantly, you know, tank, tank, uh, companies, you got three tank companies, and then you'd have a headquarters company with like uh you'd have a mortar platoon, a scout platoon, uh medic platoon, we had mechanic platoon, and then headquarters company, headquarters platoon with all the staff guys. So um oh and of course support platoon, which um you know when you're in a combat arms unit, uh they I mean we're like the bottom of the barrel. We are the, well, actually, here's a good analogy I never thought of. We're the band geeks <laughs> of the unit. So everybody hated us, and uh, it was the cargo guys, which were overwhelmingly tankers, fun, you know, strangely enough, uh, when they should be 88 mics, truck drivers, and, and fuelers. So all these, all these extra tankers would either get um, stuck in, you know, headquarters company, driving officers around, or in support platoon, and... I got stuck in support platoon, so um, I was with the, you know, what many perceived as the lackeys, you know. First Sergeant always hated us and gave us shit details, and, you know, it was kind of, it was sh- it was kind of demeaning. It was shitty. Um, but, uh, you know, got through all that, dry sweeping like crazy, resoling my boots all the time, dry sweeping in the motor pool. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully there's others out there that catching what I'm throwing in there, and, uh, you know, we deployed to Iraq in 2005. Um, Before you take off for Iraq, Joe, <clears throat> where's your family with this? Now, so are they, the day that you're leaving to actually ship off to Iraq, Yeah, uh, is your family there? Is this all patriotic, no, no, the no, flag waving, no. you have a girlfriend, uh, um, any of that? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself here. That's um, okay. You no, know, my, my off and on high school sweetheart, I guess we, we, we would call her, um, you know, after, after basic training, I came home. And, uh, you know, I was my dashing, handsome, confident army self and um, swept her off her feet. And uh, it was really tough, but we said we want to make a go of this. And she stayed back home going to college. And I went back to Fort Riley. And, um, yeah, we got married. We loved each other and got married. Um, of course, her being pregnant with my son, uh, <laughs> Influenced you know, the decision. Influenced the decision, <laughs> but you know, I, I I'm not saying it, you know, as as bullshit. Uh, deep down inside, I really wanted to. Regardless, you know, I know it doesn't always happen that way, but I'll say it's the day I die, and I I do mean it. I I loved her. I still love her. Uh, you know, and I I wanted to marry her. So uh, as strange as that was to Grafton, Wisconsin, 
uh, that's the military way, as a, a lot of uh, a lot of vets, I'm sure, know and saw. You know, twenty year olds are married in the army. A lot of them. So, um, so I was married. I was a married guy, and uh, and she was pregnant, as I said, uh, with our son, and. You know, the time had come for us to go to Iraq, and uh, that was tough. She was about six or seven months pregnant, and yeah, I mean, it was a little, it was patriotic, but it was probably more patriotic for the guys that left in 2002. Was, I, I think there's something that we always called belief in the mission. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. And so you had, when you left, you had a belief in the mission. When, when you arrived in Iraq, did that belief in the mission stay with you? And, and tell us about some of the more um, experiences that stayed with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was certainly belief in the mission. Um, but, of course, you know, that that's still, it, it's there, but it's still a bit of a facade. I mean, it's, I don't want to make the, the comparison to, you know, regular work, but obviously the belief in the mission is a little stronger, um, I guess, higher up. You know, when it rolls downhill, you're you're still just a soldier going to uh, going to war. So there was belief in the mission, but it's not as like, a, I don't know what I'm trying to say, not as... If I were to say that you still had your personal life and, the, and, yeah, and that yeah. going I mean, around still, you, the, the, the survival with your buddies... Yeah, uh, I mean, it's still just, hey, we're just soldiers in a stupid war. I mean, yeah. it's it's not you know it's who you um, are and I, what you yeah, can I mean, see. I yeah. probably never thought or said you know I'm here for the Iraqi people. You know, like whatever. Just I enlisted. I get it. This is where some guy in a suit wants me to go. So that's cool. I get that. Um, but I mean, it was there. I mean, we we thought it was the right thing to do at the time. You know, and uh, you get there, and you know, being a suburban dorky kid go to a third world country that's been on the receiving end of RPGs and bombs and shit for God longer than I've been alive. It's pretty eye opening, Um, you know, and and when you set foot there and you realize, man, a lot of these people want to kill me. It's, you know, it makes you put your, your, put your war face on, so to speak, you know, you got to turn it up a notch and be, be vigilant and, uh, would it be <clears throat> would it be fair to say, Joe, that that thinking now of uh, hey, these people want to kill me, and you have to be vigilant? Would that have uh, taken precedence over the missions? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. staying alive. Yes. Absolutely, you know, and you go through all those emotions, and you're processing. Okay, I'm in a war. I'm in a war with these people. Uh, you still have to kind of interact with these people, and you know, they're not uniform combatants. You know, everybody there more or less looks the same. Some are bad guys. Some are just guys that are just trying to go to work, sell their whatever, you know, or make a living, make a living. And, uh, you know, and I, I ended up being in support platoon. Um, I don't know if I showed a little more gumption or something, but I was our platoon leaders gunner. And we were on the road multiple times a day, every freaking day for a whole year. So, um, kicking indoors wasn't my thing. But uh, we were on the road just all day, every day for a year, multiple times. And uh, there were stretches where we would do one or two missions during the day, just out on the road. And then we'd come back and uh, sleep for an hour and go back out all night and pull security for, I don't know, engineers building, building, um, uh, I guess, like roadblocks, barricades, that kind of thing. Um, And then there was also a while in there where... uh, uh, I made pretty good with our company uh, XO, and I was his gunner for, um, I guess we dubbed it the the QRF, the Quick Reaction Force. Um, so at night, after I'm already exhausted of being on the road all day, then I'd go over to the CP and sleep in there and be QRF. If something, something goes down, you know, we'd be out of, out of the gate within five minutes. So I was on the road a lot, and, uh, you know, when you're in these convoys, I was always in the front, you know, you're just ramming these people out of the way and pointing guns in these people's faces all the time. And, you know, I mean, sure, I get it. You know, some of them could be bad guys. Some of them, uh, you know, are just families with kids. And it's it's frustrating and uh, it's hard to swallow it. And, you know, there are times where I get, you get like mad at the situation and then in doing so, you become like apathetic and you're like, oh, well, fuck them. 
you know, just whatever. Fuck you for making me be here. So you start to just kind of have a general disdain for all of them, you know. Um, that's, a, that's a fascinating statement, Joe, because I think that's something that happens to many of us. You start yeah. to numb out. Yeah, absolutely. You just numb out, you know, and it, it's funny. Again, you know, first couple times you're on the road, you're puckered up so goddamn tight. I probably burned 50 billion calories just from being so freaking hyper vigilant and aware and just, my God. But eventually, I mean, your body just can't do that anymore. So you numb out, you know, and, um, and your, your mind can't do it either. No, your mind just can't do it. So I don't know if it's as much, I guess, um, evolving or learning to, to know what to look for. So that if you see something, oh, hey, then, then you perk up. But if there's nothing that looks suspicious, then you just, I mean, there were plenty of times where we were going down the road, say, you know, six months into the deployment where I'm just like, I mean, cause what am I supposed to do all day on the road? Be just <gasps> scanning hyper, you know, you can't do it. I mean, maybe oh. some guys can, but you just, man, it, it was just exhausting, just exhausting being so vigilant. And, uh, we are visiting today with Joe Pospico, who is now t- taking us on his tour in Iraq. And mm-hmm. you're, you're explaining something that's very interesting, and many, many of us who have been to war have experienced this, and that's that numbing out. Do you ever notice, at least in retrospect, thinking back where uh, humor changes, things become funny that normally wouldn't be funny, language becomes more severe? Do you notice absolutely. any of those changes in you? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I, I can't even remember what I was like as a kid. I would like to think that I was the funny guy. You know, I, I thought I was, (laughs) everybody else probably rolled their eyes, but yeah, I use humor just all the time. That's how I, I get through it. And, uh, I I don't know, I guess, I mean, how else do you get through something like that? And it's almost our humor that other people would find to be sick. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, I'm sure many times, uh, I have just absolutely offended the hell out of my friends who, uh, you know, obviously are not veterans. Um, but, you know, veterans sure laugh. <laughs> yeah. So, so no, continue on to, uh, up to the time where you're preparing to go home. What, are, are there things that stood out for you over this, this period of time? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I will say I was, I was stop lost, which a lot of, you know, vets of, uh, of the Iraq and Afghan war you know, were, I was supposed to, uh, my contract ended in uh, September of, oh my God, that would have been 05. So I was in Iraq then. So too bad. You got to stay until the mission's done. So I knew that once I was going back from Iraq, I was done. I was done with the army. I wasn't going to reenlist, you know, um, which is funny, you know, Hey, join the army, son. You get some job skills. You learn how to interact and make tough decisions or make decisions on, you know, in in tough times. And then you (laughs) say, I'm not going to re-up, son. And they go, the fuck are you going to do, idiot? You don't have any job skills. <laughs> You're like, what the hell? Um, and and I saw it. I mean, a lot of guys, a lot of people, especially when you're 20 years old and you don't have any job skills, regardless of what the military told you, um, and you got a kid and a wife, a dependa, <laughs> uh, you're scared to get out. It's the real world because the Army is crazy and difficult as it is, they take care of you. They do things for you. I mean, you don't have to pay bills. I mean, you probably do for your cable or whatever, but you know, it's, it's just a different life. And so we got back from Iraq and I'm doing the whole out processing thing. And it's, there was this sense of pressure the whole time you're trying to get out of active duty and out process and get the hell out of there. This sense of, Oh, you know, you're getting out, huh? Why don't you re up? You know? I'm like, my God, I, I did not expect that. And uh, there were guys that were like, yeah, fuck it. I'm not, I'm not re-upping. No way. And they said that for years. And the time comes and they, they couldn't do it because they're like, shit, you know, I got a steady paycheck here, you know? And it was, it was almost depressing, kind of crushing that, you know, I had buddies that were like, well, I want to do this or I want to, you know, do that or do this. And they were, I don't know, almost kind of bullied, but scared into, you know, into re-enlisting. They, they wouldn't get out. They were just like, I got I to gotta do this. It's what's best for my family. I can't put my family through 
you know, getting out of the military, I have no other experience. I don't have any college or any post, you know, high school education. What am I going to do? You know, I'm not going to work fast food. I'm going to do this, even though I'm fucking miserable and I hate it. It's more honorable than getting out and working fast food. So, so this, <clears throat> excuse me. So this whole uh, career in the military, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, the original mission statement down mm-hmm. to the survival statement or the survival occupation, now yeah. becomes a- an income. Now it becomes yep. a way of life. It becomes yeah. a security for yourself and your family. It is very much so. And I mean, at least in my experience, that's what I saw. And I, I don't know. I guess you know, it kind of goes against. Um, my personality, but I just couldn't do it. I it's just fact said, of life. Yeah, I'm like, no, I'm done with this. I'm done, you know. And, and on top of that, so now you've come home, and let's not forget you have uh, you have a wife and, and well, a son. Yeah, and, you know, so all this time in Iraq, you're laying in your cot or wherever the hell you are, and you're just fantasizing and romanticizing coming home so much that it took me a couple of years to kind of, identify this but you you set yourself up for failure i did i was hyping up coming home so much that it was going to be a letdown when nothing, i hype it up nothing that could much. fulfill it yeah nothing could fulfill my hopes you know and i'm i get home and you know they got the great ceremony and the, the music and the wives waving flags and all that shit and that that happiness and elation lasted pff, 10 minutes and then it's, hey, reality. Okay. I have a son. I have a wife. And I'm 21 freaking years old. I have no college. What the hell am I going to do? We got to live. I got to pay bills. I got to change diapers. <laughs> I mean, that's, oh my God, it's going to be so great when I get home. Well, you still got to remember that when you go back home, it's still just life. Not to say that life isn't worth living or it's not special, but. I did myself a disservice by hyping it up so much that I let myself get get let down by it. And I had to find a job. And then, of course, I had that mentality of, well, fuck, I was in Iraq. I was in the Army. And now I got to do some stupid mundane bullshit for 12 bucks an hour. And, you know, that, I don't know if that was kind of the start of it for me, but just it was one more layer of, you know, I'm unsatisfied and sadly, I kind of bottled that all up and I, I took it out, um, you know, took it out on my friends and my family around me where I just was like, what the fuck? This is not what I expected. This is just, and you can't put it on one thing. You can't, you know, you can't put your finger on it, but why do I not feel like the way I thought I was going to feel like awesome? Like that day when I graduated basic training, how come I don't feel like that right now? I feel like this blows, man. I mean, I'm living in a shitty apartment. I got a rusty car. You know, I got a crying kid. I'm trying to be, like, intimate and attracted to my wife, who I I do love, but I'm really having a hard time expressing my feelings to, and I'm just kind of shutting her out. And as time goes by, I'm just becoming more stone about it and more apathetic and... You don't see it happening, you know. Now I can look. Now I can look back over the years and just kind of sadly see this slow eroding, uh, you know, this process happening to my family. We we are speaking and very much enjoying this this conversation with Joe Pospicle on your return. Now you're 21 years old from Iraq, yep. and now you're, you're you're speaking of a time frame where now you realize. Uh, when you're home, that this whole great uh, sense of pride and joy and achievement and invincibility that you had mm-hmm. at the end of uh, basic training and going off to war had now disappeared, uh, and there's there's no real self-esteem uh, and, right. or job opportunities. You don't realize you're taking this out on your wife, and, and this will go on for years. Explain that dynamic of the family and the children to us the best yeah. you can, because I think that's really, really important. Yeah, um, well... You know, it, it's a strange feeling. You know, uh, I was fortunate enough to to um, get leave when I was in Iraq to see the birth of my son. And I went back to Iraq, went back to Fort Riley for a couple months, and then I come home and I see my kid, and he's like, you know, ten months old, and he's looking at me like, "Who's this guy?" And that's just one more kind of layer of like, "Holy shit!" So, you know, you can be cynical and say I got out of a lot of good diaper changing and you know, kids staying up all night, but I, I missed out on that. And that's, you know, another layer. Um, 
but the, I, I was just so kind of disconnected and it was just, you know, I guess the, the, the going back to the kid, uh, it's just another shocking thing, uh, that kind of just throws you off. You know, like I said, you get out and you come back and you think life's going to be so great and you're just stuck with mundane, just life, you know? And sure. Yeah. You go out and, uh, your buddies say, uh, Oh man, that's my buddy Joe. He's a he's a hero. I'm gonna buy him a beer. But <laughs> that's all great. And then tomorrow you still gotta like get up and go to work at KFC or whatever the hell you're doing to feed your wife. What what about <clears throat> excuse me, Joe? What what about the activities that you loved before you went in the military? What about uh, the friend you had before you went in the military? Did they stay with you when you came home? Did you still have those interests? Well, and then one other thing, you, you mentioned that you had <clears throat> this dissatisfaction with yourself, with mm-hmm. the job, with no opportunities and all that. Did you try to put on a face to the world that you were still okay, that it was okay? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was, always, it was always kind of an act because, I, I mean, it, it shakes your kind of confidence. You come home and, and like I said, you kind of have to just, I don't know. I don't want to say you, I found myself having to, um, kind of, yeah, put, put on a face. Like I got to suck it up now and do what's right for my family, you know, and become a regular, a regular civilian now. And I didn't, I didn't like it. I hated it. You know, no matter what job I I was like, fuck this. You know, I didn't want to go back to the army, but I still held it in a high regard and compared everything to it. Um, so, you know, I, I ended up getting a job. I was cl- uh, at a fire alarm inspection company. I was cleaning smoke detectors with Q-tips. <laughs> I mean, it sounds as stupid as it can get, but I mean, it paid okay. But it was still like, you know, corporate hoorah-rah. And the whole time I'm just like, yuck. I was in the army, you know. You had a mission. I had a fucking mission. Yeah. And it didn't have, there were no Q-tips in my fucking mission. Okay. <laughs> and, uh. You know, that was, that was my job. That's what I did. Paid the bills, you know, and I'd come home to my wife who, you know, looking back at it, she still looked at me like, I love this man, but I was so goddamn dissatisfied and kind of self-absorbed, you know, there was a disconnect there with her and, and my son. Fortunately, I hope he doesn't remember because he was so young at the time. I just didn't know how to to be warm and real with them, you know, and I would act like it, but you know, and it was, it was slow. No, no, no laughter, no joy, no, no. I mean, I could force a little laughter and a little joy, but uh, I'm sure she, she saw it. She could see see through it. And, you know, she was a trooper and put up with it, but um, you know, it just kept going like that for years. And when, uh, when you say it kept going, what was it kept well, going? It, it was, you know, that same kind of thing, like dissatisfaction, frustration. Um, I would get, uh, just, I'd bottle it up and then let it out and I'd blow up. And, uh, we had this big black lab that was like the size of a fricking grizzly bear. He's 120 <laughs> pounds. And that was like his healthy weight. And he was just dumb as a, a wagon full of shit with square wheels. I mean, he, but he had a big heart, but th- this dog would just get in everything and make a friggin' mess everywhere. And, uh, oh, he'd get sick all over the place and I'd get so mad at him and I'd, I'd get mad at the dog and I'd hit the dog. And, uh, uh, you know, man, to this day, I still feel awful about that and he's gone and I just, God, I feel horrible the way I, I treated that dog. But, um, yeah, yeah, it, it's hard to describe what it was. It was uh, a combination of dissatisfaction with my life. It was a combination of how do I control this sense of you gave a, a dorky band geek a gun and told him to kind of, I mean, kind of flip a switch a little bit and point it in people's faces all day, every day, for a year, you know, because if I just found a, a kid from Grafton right now that was 18 and said, here's a gun, go down the road every day, everybody could be a bad guy, point a gun at them every day, and you're going to ram them out of the freaking way with your big-ass Humvee, that's it's, uh, kind of hard to do that. And then once you are able to, to do that and turn it on, it's 
kind of hard to, to, to turn that off. It's a different know? reality, isn't it? It is. It's a different reality. You know, road rage, holy shit, um, was something else. And this is all coming home with you? Yeah, yeah, and it's all coming home with you. And it's just, you know, and here's your wife who's like, Jesus, I, you know, she's trying her best to please me and to like, you know, what can I do to be a good wife for you when really there was nothing she could have done that would have probably made me, um, you know, warmer. What uh, you say there's nothing that could have been done. Let me just ask you this, and we'll, we'll, we'll revisit this a little bit later in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Were you aware that this was happening to your wife? Were you aware of the atmosphere in the house, uh, in your life, that had changed from the time when your wife did think you were the hero and that you were happy and, and joyful and yeah, you were the romantic guy? You know, uh, or were you internalized? That That's tough because it's like, you kind of get the inkling, like, this ain't right, you know? And you're trying to figure this out, you know? I'm trying to figure this out, like, is this is this normal? Is this right? This doesn't seem right. I'm not, um, you know, I'm not, we're not, like, in love, you know? Is this normal? Are all couples like this? And, I mean, it's just... It was sad because of how grueling and long it was, and I—it's like I've no—I knew there was something not right. Um, I'm like, is it me? I mean, I—I I didn't have you know nightmares about combat. I—it wasn't like that for me. So I—I I, I guess I kind of just—I I struggled to identify what it was, you know. And I was like, well, we're just getting old, and maybe we're. Maybe we're just that stereotype. We got married young and we're falling out of love. Um, I, I unfairly started to put a lot of it on her, you know, like, oh, man, you don't love me. You know, I'm sorry. Wow. I'm the big fucking hero veteran and I did. I sacrificed and you need to learn to love me for who and what I am. But I wasn't reciprocating at all. I wouldn't change and I wouldn't, you know. I would never fully open up to her. And uh, it's it's probably like one of those like super deep down truths that if I really would have, I guess, you know, thought about or meditated on, I could have kind of identified it, but I just kept pushing it down. Like You could you know, have. Is, <clears throat> uh, one of those terms they tell us never to use, I could have or I should have or whatever. But yeah. uh, l- let's stay on that topic just for mm-hmm. a couple of minutes here, Joe, because I think this is really interesting. You're talking about how, how you were responding how you right. were looking at your wife telling her she didn't understand or she should respect right. you and she should do this. Did you ever stop and ask her or think about what it might have been like for her while you were gone? Uh, what her experience no, no, was? No, <laughs> no. Isn't that shitty? I mean, and I, I, you know. <laughs> I'm not laughing at it. I, I'm, you know, okay. So I was in Iraq in 2005. That's 15 years ago. I've been divorced for a couple of years. We split in 15 you know what? On Veterans Day, I text her. I do that now. And I say, happy Veterans Day. Thank you so much for being there and what you did. And I know maybe some of you guys are like, blech, <laughs> rolling I, your I, eyes. No, I, I, but, I applaud you, know, you for that. I, what she went through, and I never, for years, I never acknowledged that. You know, like I said, I, I said goodbye to her um, when she was pregnant with my son. And we were only married for, God, I don't know how long. I mean, probably not even a year yet. And that's got to just be so hard. But I was just thinking about me, you know. One of the things that was always impressed me, it took me so many decades to learn because I was the same, it's all about me. Right. These people, I always knew where I was. I knew if I was alive. I knew if I was in danger. These people lived in their imagination. When I say these people, our families, our wives, our, our children lived in the imagination of, where is he today? He could be dead. When is that car going to pull up in front of the house that tells yep, me my son absolutely. or my husband is dead? I, I can't even imagine that yeah. constant anxiety yep. that you expressed about being on the road, in the exactly. convoys, on the defense yeah. of every day, multiple times a day, and yet we neglect to even think often about yeah. this person who's got to try and imagine yep. if we're okay. Yeah, there, and, and there were. I mean, even as short or as long or as they were, there were moments, plenty of them, where I was safe. But they didn't know that. But they didn't know that. I couldn't tell them. I couldn't text them or whatever, you right. know, tell them that I'm safe. So it was, yeah, you're very right. I mean, it was just a 24-7 constant 
the car could pull up at any time or get a phone call or whatever. Joe's dead or he's missing. I mean, it, and to just go on for years like that and not acknowledge that, I, f- I feel really feel really guilty about that. And um, so, yeah, so as, as time's going on, I, you know, I'm just got my, my face on and we're, we're pretending. And there were, there were probably glimpses and moments of, of true I love yous and happiness. And, you know, um, five years after my son was born, we had a little girl. And uh, that was pretty exciting. You know, that's, um, I remember thinking, you know, it's going to get better now. And uh, it, it didn't because I just thought it would get better. Like it would happen to me. I didn't try to make things better. It just was like, oh, well, life's just going to get better now. Well, no, it's still, you know, you still got to go to work. You still have to work at your relationship. So our, our relationship just still started to kind of slowly deteriorate over the years, slow enough to the point where you kind of, you don't even notice that it's happening. You know, once in a while a thought might pop in your head, but the more apathetic I'm becoming, the more apathetic she's becoming. And, um, you know, she was essentially becoming like me in that, um, you know, I push her away. What's she, what's she supposed to do? She tries and tries and tries. She's going to stop caring. And pretty soon she's becoming, um, you know, a reflection of, of me, you know, just, I, I tried, but I can't do it. You know, she's tried for so long, you know, so she, she's just, all right, becoming apathetic, bottling it up. I'm pushing her away. So, so she's numbing out. She's numbing out. And, um, yeah, that went on. Oh, there were nights that, you know, she'd, she'd go out with her friends after work. And uh, I wouldn't be up worried about her. Like, oh, my God. Is she going to, like, you know, is she going to cheat on me or is whatever? You know, what's happening? What's happening to us? And I was still, still not seeing that it's a two-way street, man. Marriage is not one person. You know, you got to work at it. And I need to tell her that I love her. I'm pushing her away. What do What do you do if, if you're being pushed away? You're going to go away. So she started distancing herself more and more. And it was just, again, it was just so slow of a process that it wasn't drastic. Well, eventually, you know, after years, it comes to its head. We, we bought this old house in Grafton together, and we thought life is just going to get better. It's a new start, right? Well, when you don't freaking do anything or work at it and you just think shit's going to happen to you, it, it didn't get better. And we tried it for a year, and I would I would numb out on this old house. I was scared to death of it at first. She convinced me to buy this old house. And uh, fast forward a year, and she hates the freaking place because it's so much work, and I'm loving it. I'm obsessed, and I'm uh, numbing out, as you'd like to say, you know, just working on this dumbass house all the time fiddling on every little thing just till 11, 12 o'clock at night. I'm not giving my kids anything, any attention, not giving my wife any attention. And I, again, it's like, I'd see this, the writing on the wall where she would just every day after work, she'd be like, I'm at my friend's house, you know, was there any thought along here of maybe we should get some help or find out, you know, professionally, I, I, we did try, we did try marriage counseling once. And, um, you know, counseling is just, what would happen is we'd both go in there and, you know, it's, tell me, how do you feel? Tell me, how do you feel? And we would just kind of like fight and not, it's like, I I don't know how to describe it. You know, we didn't, it almost would have been better if there was a robot mediator or no mediator. So we would have been forced to kind of interact and really look into each other's eyes and say, hey, wait a second here. We do love each other. Let's work at this. But it it just didn't help. It was very, you know, d- divisive. And we would still, like, you know, kind of blame each other. And it, it's just sad that we never, I don't know how we could have better facilitated just us two talking. But I, it's like after so many years of that slow um, pushing away apathy, it just, it was almost like unfixable. But I was still deluded enough to think she's going to be my wife forever. And, uh, you know, it came to a head 
in um, April, I think April 15, something like that. And she just said, Joe, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. That's all she kept saying. And I was like, huh, what a, what a, you know, and I try and get a word in and she was just like, I'm done. I'm done. Reached her limit. That was it. And, uh, oh my God, it just ripped my guts out. So freaking hard. So, so now you fast forward, you, you do get divorced. Yeah. We, uh, we separated and, uh, we didn't get divorced for almost two years, which was, um, you know, probably a good thing. I mean, in, in retrospect, you know, like I said, she never, she never wanted to take anything or it was never like an F you. And, uh, I was so hurt by it though, that I almost wanted to make it like a war, you know, like, Oh, can you believe she's doing this to me? Jesus Christ. Why would she do this to me? But she just, she's like, you know, I'm probably always going to love you or, or, you know, have, you know, appreciate you. You know, you're the father of my kids. I just, you know, we got married young and she was very as amicable and as tender, I guess, as you could be leaving someone that you just know that, you know, one of us had to do it. The relationship was just, it was, it was done. It was, it was empty and hollow. And as time went on, as much as I, you know, was hurt by that, as time went on, I saw it. I saw like, oh my God. But too late. It was, oh, it was too late. And, and so many of my friends were like, oh my God, I can't believe she did that to you. And now I'm like, nah, you know, I, I did that to her, you know, and I'm, I'm very fortunate. I mean, we get along pretty well and, uh, you know, but, but uh, along the way here, something happens where you start coughing up blood and having some issues and your wife is a nurse and you see some red spots on your legs and what develops out of this? Well, I mean, just, just the hair before that or a little bit before that, you know, I'm divorced and, and, uh, I, I guess I'm kind of like, I'm healing like spiritually, you know, uh, I, and I, I feel guilt for what I did to my wife and I'm healing and I'm, um, meditating and I'm feeling better and I'm just like, my God. And, and I feel like I changed a lot in, in how I deal with situations and react. And that lasted about a year and I started just getting really winded. Holy buckets. I was just tired all the time. And then I started sweating like crazy. I'm like, why am I sweating like a pig all the time? Start coughing up blood. Um, and one weekend, just total, total crash. I could barely move. And uh, I was texting my, my ex-wife, um, who, yeah, she was a nurse. And uh, she knew right away. And she told me after the fact. But, of course, at the time she didn't because she didn't want to freak me out. Um, she was pretty sure that I had leukemia. It looked, I mean, all the symptoms were, were you know, pretty textbook. Um, for, I, for leukemia. For leukemia. And I actually Googled it myself. <laughs> I think it was the night before I, I had made an appointment at, uh, at the VA at the yellow clinic. Like some, something's just not right. You know, I mean, something's not right. I got to get in to see you guys. And I got lucky enough that I got an appointment within a, a week or so of when I made that. And, uh, after that phone call to make that appointment just daily, it was just <sighs> crashing. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? Yeah. And I go to the doctor and they're like, you know, it's funny if anybody listening has ever been, diagnosed with any, you know, I don't know, cancer or any other disease, you know, they, there's no magic test that tells you exactly right away what it is. So that's the scariest part. You know, I get in there and they're like, well, you have the, the you have symptoms that, uh, are, be. are indicative of, uh, <laughs> certain diseases in particular cancers of the blood or soft tissue cancers. Uh, so you're like, what the hell are you saying to me? It's like an army recruiter <laughs> talking to you. And, uh, yeah, at any rate, I found out it was leukemia. So I went through about three and a half years of treatment, which I just wrapped up a few months ago. But, uh, you know, that was just kind of dealing with all that. It's like another layer of, Jesus, you know, of, of my my life and, and dealing with, I guess, just life. But... At the same time, we had a nice conversation before we sat down to um, have this recording today, Joe. Mm-hmm. 
you still have you, you you see the value in being grateful you see the value I in do. understanding I the do. challenge and not being a victim to it but mm-hmm. uh, of uh, of undertaking it you see yeah. the the value in understanding your wife's perspective on what happened oh, before rather than being angry uh yeah. you 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 have uh obviously the the ongoing responsibilities of being a father to to two children so but you're still undertaking all of these things and, and i'm sitting here for the audience sake uh, mm-hmm. you you look very healthy you're very positive you. you have a good attitude yeah uh, you're you're not uh you're not a victim to this stuff and i, I admire you for that so now what are you doing today that uh, that might be helping as a father, as an ex-wife. Uh, well, you're the ex-husband. Yeah, right. Uh, you're maintaining your health the, the best yeah. you possibly can, and yeah, uh, and, and you're working. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I work uh, very part time. I'm fortunate enough to work for a guy who's just he's uh, he's actually kind of like a father figure. When I got sick, he just he was flabbergasted and just said, "Whatever you need," you know. And uh, that was hell. That was almost four years ago. I still have a job with this man and he just lets me come and go more or less as I please, as long as I'm not, you know, pissing off any clients or blowing deadlines. But, um, you know, I guess I learned a lot from, you know, I know it sounds like I'm not focusing on Iraq, but I feel like the aftermath of the army in Iraq in my marriage and how I treated my wife and my family and even my friends, who I am very fortunate have stayed close with me, they're always trying. They never give up on me when I say, when I ignore them or don't want to hang out with them, and I kind of isolate. They never give up on me. So I am, I am very lucky to have the people around me that I have had. And I, it's sad that it took me till probably 2016 to see that. And to really be proactive about how I handle things that happen to me in my life, um, you know, and it's still, it's still, you know, I'm envious of those people. You know, there's probably a guy out there who's cleaning toilets right now for a living and he's the happiest son of a bitch around. Aren't you jealous of that guy? I mean, Jesus, there's probably a guy who's managing a, I don't know, hedge fund account. I don't even know what that means. It just sounds like a rich guy who's probably got a fucking plane full of hot ladies waiting for him and he's probably miserable. Yeah. You know, wouldn't you rather be the toilet cleaning guy? Yeah, he doesn't, I know have, enough, he doesn't have enough money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, I'm trying my best to just live my life like, you know. Well, and let me ask you, Joe, if this would make any sense to you. And, and we're speaking with um, Joe Pospico, who is an Iraq war veteran who has uh, served in Iraq and also has gone through some pretty strong experiences as a husband uh, and as a father is divorced has had leukemia and struggles with that struggles with the challenges of a new mission from military to civilian life. Yeah. Uh, very positive though, about uh, the things that you're doing. Do you see any power in, a, in, as I listen to you, you're creating now your happiness where it was before it was the military created the happiness that made this guy who was all enthusiastic yeah. and a guy that was all uh, had, a, had a purpose in life, had a mission, had energy, and that was lost. And, and then, of course, the, 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 um, the issues with the marriage and the, and the, the fatherhood and all of that. Now you're fa- finally coming back to where it's Joe who's putting the value on life, what has meaning, what has value. Yeah. And it sounds like all the things that you learned in your life, you had to filter out and pick the things out where now right. you are the person who is saying, this is what my life means. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it it's my life, right? And how I perceive or handle every situation, you know, it's up to me to, to figure out, you know, how am I going to handle this, you know? And I'm just trying to enjoy the moment a little bit more and enjoy my life a little bit more. And, you know, the, the, the army conditioning and the experiences are never going to leave, but I guess it's how I, how I handle it. You know, I'm, I'm really trying hard to work on that, you know, because it can, it's in snowball, you know, I think it's something a lot of us learn as veterans. It's not really what we're experiencing. It's how we're responding to it. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's the power we have is how to respond. So so now as we get closer to the end of our time here in this recording, uh, Joe, if you look back on this, 
If you look back, it, would you do something differently after you came home? Is there something you could have done differently? Is there something that you wish you had done differently? Or were there, was it just the way that it went down the way you were thinking at the time? But, uh, or is there a resource that yeah. you would suggest to anyone? Well, you know, for me, it's, as I mean, I don't want to say the word simple because it's not. Well, things can be simple but still be extremely difficult, right? Yes. I mean, if you make the decision to do them. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I mean, it was just a matter of opening up, you know. I mean, I certainly wouldn't change just the the fact that I enlisted, you know. I'm proud of that. The experience. But, you know, it, it's it's a real challenge that <sighs> I mean, I think we're a little bit more aware of it today in society, that the change, the transition that you go through, and then trying to integrate that into a normal, happy, regular life where you can function as a husband or a father or a wife or, you know, whatever, or as an employee, whatever, you know, whatever you're trying to do. Um, you know, that's it's not an easy task. Uh, and I, I just... The, the thing that I would change would, yeah, it would just be to, I guess, just talk more, to try and be more in tune with my feelings and less suck it upness. <laughs> you know, um, f- first I'd start with just being a little more open with my wife, you know, and, and even though I would, I was, you know, I'd go to the VA and, and see uh, um, psychologists and so on, but uh, even, even still, there were still, you're still a little guarded and you still don't completely open up. You know, I guess I just wish I didn't isolate so much and try and say, oh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be fine, whatever. Just, you know, kind of suck it up a little bit. You know, it's, it was an act. It was, it was basically, I almost regret it. Like it was an act for so long that I didn't allow myself to be me. And I lost time and I also hurt people when I did that. And, uh, it's a, it's humbling to feel that and a, a little bit regretful, but you know, I'm trying to just, but it's educational too. It's educational. Yeah. I'm trying to just be For kind what's to, to others, come. forgive myself and, and learn from it and take it, you know, and, and move forward with it, you know, oh, to be productive. That's a, that's a great message. So <clears throat> let me just ask you this quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. Would it be fair as a message from you, from myself, from all of us veterans, that we uh, be more aware of our families and that they did, they also have yeah. a stake in what we went through in the military. And even if we're not able to communicate our issues with them, to make the household a happier place and a more secure and safe place for everybody involved, that we at least tell them, honey, I'm going to go and get help. You can't help me, but I'll go and get help so you yeah. feel secure. Yeah. Uh, would that be a good message? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, you're, you're part of a family. I mean, even if you're single and don't have children, there, there are people that care about you. That love you. Yeah. yeah your family. There's people that love you, family, friends. I mean, whatever you might think you have nobody, but that one person, you got to do it for them. You know, um, that is a great message. And, we are speaking with uh, Iraq War veteran um, Joe Pospical. And, Joe, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this uh, very educational experience with us. And uh, you talk about loving somebody. We love you. You're our brother. You're our veteran. Thank you. Uh, and uh, thanks for the courage and your struggle with your cancer that continues yeah, with you, you so today and, and all you're doing. It's, it's really been a joy to have you here. It's, it's good to be around people who have had the struggles mm-hmm. and, and see the need to, to change, but who are taking that responsibility and making your own reality based on your experience that, uh, that's now a much more positive one. But uh, I think you're going to be an inspiration to a lot of people with your message. Great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Thank you. We are coming to the end of another educational session of Stigma Free Vet Zone, and we want to thank the Charles E. Kubley Foundation, who has provided this show through a grant. And for co-host Bob Bach and Aaron Schroffnagel, I am Mike Orban, and we hope you join us again on Stigma Free Vet Zone.
Thank you for listening to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War, by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.